Blog Talk Radio. You are listening to the Run to Daylight Football Funcast with your host, Todd Burroughs. Welcome to the latest installment of the Run to Daylight podcast. I don't know if you're hearing me because the last time my mic, uh, which is working otherwise, was not able to be heard by my guest. And this time my guest can't call in. So we're supposed to have Pete Davidson on. I'm going to try and call him and see if that works because he has not been able to call um, me. So uh, welcome. We're going to hopefully. Pete, are you there? Yes. And you can hear me. I can hear you just fine. Uh, Well, uh, if at first you don't succeed, it is Todd. No, No, what's up, uh, buddy? It's Fred Flintstone. Nice to meet you. Are we live? (laughs) We are live. Oh, giddy uh, up. I was was explaining to... uh, uh, my my rather small audience, what uh, what was going on? So um, it's good to have you on my podcast. You had me on yours a couple years ago, and I think we talked about having you on here, but I don't ever remember doing it. Yeah, you know, it's funny. I was thinking, like, have I ever actually been on Todd's show? I couldn't remember. I I, I know I had you on the Rotobon pod at that at, at that point, but uh, yeah, we got to do this a couple times back and forth, man. Um, I, it's I, funny. I think so. I, the number you gave me, I tried it several times, and then finally I decided to try it without the one. Um, I guess that defaulted to my area code, and I got some lady who was trying to sell me insurance. So sorry it took me a couple minutes there. <laughs> I'm not kidding well, you. I, call, it, it, I I tried it twice. The second time I called back, she went into the sales pitch. I can't blame her. I mean, you know. Th- th- thankfully, the uh, coronavirus uh, is not dependent upon uh, – you know the the cure up for it is not dependent on us doing this podcast, so uh, <laughs> yeah. I, I think we're okay. So since you haven't been on the show before, Pete, uh, yeah. I know you have a pretty interesting history. You work for a pro baseball team. Uh, you do some that. work on radio. Why don't you detail for everyone a, a little bit about your history? Um, well, you know, buddy, I'm like you. I've been around the block a couple times. Um, uh, I worked in pro sports. Uh, early 90s up until I left uh, the New York Mets uh, in 2010. Uh, I did two years at City Field, and that was it. Um, and, and then I've been doing this wonderful stuff ever since then. Um, but, uh, you know, the most interesting thing about my life in sports is probably the way I transitioned into fantasy. It was when I was working at Shea. Um, I've told this story before, but I was working at Shea, and I think this is why I fell in love with fantasy, because the, the first fantasy football draft that I ever did in my life um, was at Shea Stadium in the old Jet Locker Room. Um, and as best as I could, I got my ass planted right in front of Namath Locker. Um, and I think there was a romantic element that uh, seeped in at that point. Not me and Namath, but just me and being in the Jet Locker Room. 
Yeah. There was something well, something I, really cool I, about that. I'm, I also I did a fantasy in, baseball draft in Fred Wilpon's apartment, which was also fun. Wow. So what did you do for the Mets? Um, first couple of years that I was there, I was a full-time guy uh, in sales, and that was great. Loved it. Had a lot of fun perks. You know, went to a lot of games just on business, a lot of games just for fun. It was before I had kids. Really time of my life. Um, and then um, when my first son was born, uh, I was working like the overnight shift. You remember Sports Phone? Get all the sports news instantly oh, yeah. down nine seven six one three one three. Yeah, I was one yeah. of those guys. You know, every ten minutes you'd have to write your own ninety second script. You know, scores from the coast, blah blah blah. And um, I was doing I that. Making... Used to call, I used to always call into that during, um, you know, when 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 free agency first came out. Right. The only way you could find out who signed quickly. <laughs> You've got to be the only guy calling sports phone for free agent moves in history, dude. <laughs> I, I, I mean, I was. You, you think you think I'm obsessed now? You should have seen me when I was younger. I was going to say that I I was born in '62, so right. my first year of watching, I watched a little NFL in '68, but my first full right. year of really knowing what was going on was that jet year and people always Ah. say to me how can you be a giant fan and a jet fan and i said when i was a kid the jets were the afl new york team we rooted for the new york teams yeah the giants had just fired all those like hall of fame coaches (laughs) they they were in their down period and uh fran tarkington was there and that was a ray of sunshine until they traded him for I, I just, it was weird. I, I'm, I'm doing replays with uh, Action PC Football of all the Super Bowls uh, during the uh, the whole virus thing. Mm-hmm. And I was playing the 76 uh, Super Bowl, and the Vikings actually upset the Raiders on a last-second touchdown from Tarkington. And, you know, so I looked up that trade. It was actually wait a, minute, a wait a minute. trade. Wait a minute, what? In in the redo of the seventy six. Oh, the redo. Okay, I'm like, yeah. wait a minute, wait a minute, back up for a second. Okay, I got you now. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, uh, I you know like if if you have, sort of you like know, Tarantino's was, last movie. I got it. Yeah, if uh, if you uh, if you were my age, you played Stratomatic or APBA baseball and. Uh, different, you know, sports board games were what it was about. Well, these are yeah. kind of a, adult computer versions of these games. Right, right. And, I got you. Uh, and, and I'm replaying it. But I looked up that Tarkenton trade to the Vikings. They got two first-round picks, Norm Sneed and Bob Grimm. It actually wasn't a bad trade for Tarkenton. But then they traded one of those first-round picks for Craig Morton, and the Cowboys took Randy White with it. So – um, imagine if the Giants had gotten Randy White for that pick. Yeah, that would have been nice. The, the defense would have been dominant for uh, the decade preceding the 80s as well. Yeah, because they had Harry Carson and a few other right. good players. Right. Uh, Troy Arthur They may never have gotten LT kill. for all we know if that had happened. All right, so we'll leave it the way it was. Um, <laughs> I'm just saying, you know, that's when you start player, messing with right? history. <laughs> well, the, and the great story about Lawrence Taylor is at the time they, they asked every general manager who you would take with the number one pick. 31 teams said Lawrence Taylor and the 32nd team was the Saints who actually had the first pick and they took George Rogers. Um, Good player, the, but uh, yeah, not, 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 not out Taylor. Not, not out. No. 
uh, and that was Bum Phillips. He was trying to recreate Earl Campbell. But right. I digress from your story about sales. And it, I got to ask you, is Fred Wilpon, what kind of guy is he? I mean, everyone in New York um, hates him now. I, well, I, I, look, if I had to choose a Wilpon, it would be Fred. Let's put it that way. Um, uh, gotcha. I'll, I'll take the old man over the offspring any day of the week. Um, I mean, I've met Fred a couple times. He was, I mean, he was a gentleman. You know, he, he's one of those older gentlemen. You know, at least he's a decent guy face to face. I mean, the kid won't even look you in the eye. Uh, Jeff. Yeah, like he, he's just he's just he's just not a good guy. Not not he's just not one a of guy. Those guys and I can say that that's how that's how dad's money. Yeah, as they say, born on third thinks he hit a triple. Correct. Yeah. Correct. So, um, all right, I don't want to spend too much time on that, but do tell us about uh, what you do on your radio station, uh, how often. And by the way, if you want to follow Pete on Twitter, it's at Rotobahn, R-O-T-O-B-A-H-N, I believe. That's Uh, correct. And if you're following me and not him, you're probably doing it wrong, so give him a follow. (laughs) Uh, the, the, The same is true in reverse. Oh, that's nice of you to say. I, uh, uh, so hey, man, there's, about- in all honesty, uh, in terms of consistent best ball content, I mean, you're as good as it gets, my man. I like to think that I'm the best guy hardly anyone listens to. <laughs> well, I, 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 definitely people listen to you. You and I have like a different approach, but I always see sensibility and logic in your approach which is great. I, like, I love people who play different than me but play intelligently because I feel like I learn the most from those people. Well, I, I think you know, that can be explained by what I always say, which is you have to play to your strengths. Yeah. You know, uh, it, it, and, and you can take pieces of what I do and incorporate it into what you do, but my sure. skill set and being able to identify situations and take advantage of value, not everyone has that. And that's okay because you might have three or, you know, I'm not as good as with numbers as a lot of people. So you got to be true to yourself. All that matters at the end of the day is, is, is winning. Yeah. I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know how many people play best ball like me. I mean, I I sort of took this year off just because of all the uncertainty. You know, I I couldn't take dynasty off because that's a, a cumulative kind of thing. So I needed to do my diligence, but with, with best ball, I just sort of mailed this year in. I may decide to start drafting teams at some point. Um, but I just, you know, not knowing what the shape of the season is going to be, I just said, you know what? Well, and then holding <laughs> I, your money I need the cash right now. I'm not going to do this. Yeah. I'm sorry. It, go it, ahead. Absolutely. It, you know, it's it, there it, on a good year. They're holding your money for nine months. Yeah, yeah, and I love best ball. Don't get me wrong. Um, and I, and I, I'm sadly I'm coming off of one of my better years. I mean, I did very well last year. Um, but you know, my general strategy in best ball is to really, I mean, my my best ball teams look so little like my redraft teams. Um, I have a very best ball specific approach. Um, quick summation would be RBs early. Um, wide receivers by volume. That's my general strategy. In best ball. Um, yes. Yeah, that's, that, that's my general that, strategy. That is actually, in general, very close to what I do. But okay. um, I, I'll mix in 10 to 15%. Uh, maybe 20% of my teams will either be zero RB or two tight end early. And that tends sure. to be when the draft board 
just comes to me and like I was doing a, a, a football guys tournament last night, one of the three fifties. And yeah. uh, because uh, one of the guys we we're going to talk about in a minute for the chiefs mm-hmm. got drafted way too early in my view uh, right. and Chubb went off the board, I was able to get Kittle in a tight end premium at two eight. Well, I wasn't planning on that. that, but, but I'm going to, and then my next two picks were wide receivers. I took, uh, I took Juju in the fourth round, and who was my third round pick? Um, Kenny Galladay was my third round pick. Um, so, uh, well, yeah, and then I was able to come back with Dobbins in the fifth and Damian Williams in the sixth. You know, so yeah, that's I, boy, Damian Williams in the sixth in best ball. That's that's just beautiful. Oh no, this that's is beautiful. This is, this is a redraft. This is oh, a okay, redraft. okay. And okay. he's been going in the seventh round, uh, sometimes eighth. But I'm a it's big. Well, we'll get to that. We'll get. Yeah, to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, I so, yeah, really I, I, like. I love the way I, you take Kittle in the second. I think is beautiful because if you somehow swing around and get another tight end you love in the next couple rounds, you you buy yourself a roster spot. I love doing that. Yeah. Well, FFPC is tight end premium. You can start up to three tight ends. But, but I'm I, sorry again. That was not best ball. But I know you yeah. will do that in best ball though. So oh, it might I, as well I be. Will. If I, well, typically, if I take two good tight ends early, you're done at tight end. In fact, right. if I if I draft one of the top three tight ends in a twenty round draft, I'm done with two tight ends, and I'll yeah. take more shots because you're giving up some uh, you're giving up leverage at running back and wide receiver to take uh, that tight end early. So the, the the way to balance that team out is whatever position you're weakest at to take more shots on it late. Sure. Um, yeah. I mean, I've, I've come out of plenty of best ball drafts out of first six rounds and I've got four running backs and two tight ends. I've done that a bunch of times. Yeah. It doesn't bother. And that's, no, it, it shouldn't because, yeah. you know, typical, well, one of the things that you have to pay attention to in best ball is where the value is late. And, and often it's wide receiver. It's not always right now. I'm not finding a lot of value late in, uh, when you say ball. late, give me a definition uh, 15th, of what you mean by 15th, late. 15th to 20th round is late. Yeah, I would say very little of my core wide receiver team would be built in that area. What, what I generally do is somewhere around the 7th or 8th round, I just start hammering receivers. Um, my theory is that wide receivers who perform, the weeks where they do perform, they're second level, sometimes even first level wide receivers that week. So I just try to accumulate as many guys who are capable of having strong weeks as possible and then just hoping that I get the luck of the draw on, you know, who has their good weeks when. But I generally like to have seven or eight wide receivers that I'm comfortable with. Yeah, and at tight end, every year there seems to be one or two guys who mm-hmm. haven't hit yet, but they could. You know, a right. couple years ago when I had a dominant year, it was Zach Ertz in the ninth round. Uh, mm-hmm. Kittle the next year was a 10th to 15th round guy. Um, right. the, my guy this year, and I got him in the 10th round of an, the FBG last night, is Jonu Smith. I, okay. I really – Love I that really, in best ball. I, I mean – Again, that wasn't best ball, sorry. Yeah, but he, oh, I love him in best ball too. But he's a yeah. – you know, he, he's a guy who actually has the talent – to be a top five tight end and, and you're getting him right now after guys like Austin Hooper, Hayden Hurst, Goddard, Doyle, Fant, uh, Hawkinson, 
uh, Jared Cook, all going ahead of John U. Smith. In yeah, this that draft. surprised me that Fant would go ahead of Smith in that they're very similar. Like if, if like those two players to me, I would I would want them equally in best ball. So if you're telling me I can I can save a couple rounds by going to John U. over a guy like Fant, yeah, I'd do that all day. Exactly. All right. So let, uh, I, we never did talk about your radio station. Tell us about your show oh. that you do. Uh, when it is, and uh, I well, know you you have a partner. Yeah, um, J- Jimmy Hackett is my my broadcasting partner when I'm on the air, and uh, uh, it's WEI, which is 93.7 in Boston throughout New England, uh, and we're live every football Sunday morning. Um, so if there are football Sunday mornings this year, we'll be we'll be live. I don't know what's going to happen to our show if there is no football. We're sort of whistling past the graveyard on that one right now. Yeah, I, you know, I don't want to get into politics on the show. Um, no, 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 I'm not. That's not where I'm the, going. The, I just, but the, you know. but the, the level of screw-ups is making it much more likely that this is going to be around for a while. So we're going to have to yeah, hope that. Yeah, you're probably right on that. Up. I mean, you live in New York, right? Yeah, which is one of the reasons I'm probably a little bit behind my normal curve for football and stuff. I mean, because just living in this area has been um, – you know, it's been it's been a long eight weeks. <laughs> it really has. Oh um, my gosh. Yeah, yeah. I, I, it's so weird. Like three o'clock in the morning, you hear an ambulance, and you know what it is. It's so creepy. Like you know, you never heard the ambulances in the middle of the night before. Um, no, I, and now I they go past. Normally, I live right by the ambulance distribution center in my town, and oh. normally it goes by the house, and then you hear it go onto the highway. Now it doesn't go onto the highway anymore. It goes somewhere into town, which is you know, disturbing, you know, it's like every other night you hear it. Um, and in the city I hear it's just like, well, it's, it's, things have really calmed down. Obviously the the magic thing in New York is going to be what happens when we really start moving around again, you know? Yeah. Um, well, uh, but you also got someone in charge who's doing things by the book and in, as yeah, the governor's been good. Possible. You know, I, I mean, you don't, you don't have to agree with everything Cuomo's done, but the thing is he's mostly kept it all above board. You can see what he's doing. He gives you the rationale. It's, it's just comforting to get information. Exactly. Yeah. And have it, and, and have it be accurate information. You know, if someone's lying yeah. to you, if someone's lying to you, I mean, I, I don't even listen because yeah, I can't trust anything that's being said. So uh, and, and and even people who would defend, uh, I, you know, well, the ones who truly defend, I mean, there's no talking to him at this point. But yeah. most people who are on the fence about him, uh, uh, you know, that 20 percent in the middle that are, at least are willing to give him the benefit of the doubt. They're not cult members and they don't just, yeah. uh, you know, bl- blow him off. You know, those people will admit to you that, you know, he's not an honest person. So anyway, yeah, well, you know what it to... is? Here, here's the thing. Well, one quick thing here. Here's the good thing. There are a lot of governors like Hogan in Maryland where it's like, OK, this guy's this guy's right wing. But at least he's fact based on this stuff that really matters. Right. So, you know, th- there are some governors out there who are doing a good job, who ultimately will probably place, pay some type of political price. Um, but. You know, they're like, hey, this is life and death. This needs to be fact-based. And, um, you know, I, I mean, I know that living, it's scary right now in New York and Connecticut and New Jersey. It is. But it's also nice to know that at least these guys are doing what needs to be done. Yeah, and they're working together. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. And, and I've been accused of being, you know, like 
the you hate Trump and you hate Republicans. <laughs> and no, I hate behaviors that I think are evil. And that that that's not a political thing. You know, yeah. that's that, you know, when I was younger, I was involved in a group that was cultish uh, deeply. It was a cult. Let's just be honest. And and so well, I'm a Mets fan, so I can go with that. <laughs> this this is a little bit worse than a Mets. Fan. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, I know. But uh, but my point is, I've seen all the this script. I've seen this script played out before. And, you know, the, the you know, the whole goal is is to smear you as, you know, instead of listening to the points you're making, it's about smearing. Right. So then it's just one big mess and no one ever gets anywhere. And uh, yeah, and anyway. you end up you end up with a divided country with the politics of destruction. And, you know, that's and that's what's going on. And, well, it's, and, and, it sucks. and I think I think that we're a lot closer to a civil war than you know, like we used to talk about it like it was something that would never happen, but it could be a civil war. And you'd be like, yeah, yeah. Well, we definitely need to pivot back to football, but I will say this. Civil war is scary, but I'll tell you one thing that like like states used to talk about it and it would always be like you'd laugh it off. But like the idea of states moving to secede, I've never seen it more it, you know, in the discussion in my life. So it's it's interesting, yeah. you know. Well, you got and, you got Newsom referring to say, California as a nation state and stuff like that. It's like, you know, and then you've got you've got uh, the Senate talking about not sending money to states in need. You even got the New York governor talking about being a donor state, and you know things are getting heated. <laughs> yeah, well, when you when may you live in interesting times, Todd. <laughs> I I I got you know I did Vietnam ended before I was of age. You know, I got through my that that period of my life with no wars that, you know, we had a draft for, um, you know, but this is legitimately getting scary simply because um, you've got, you know, in the past, there were certain lines that neither side would cross. Right. And when those lines get crossed, it doesn't matter if it's an R or a D. Right. It, 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 It when you when you. Yeah, once when you, you board the line, it's board for everybody. When when you when you say you know when you defend people who show up with guns, um, and and you encourage them to protest, that that's not something we've seen in this country before, right? Not from our leaders. We, we might have seen it from subversive groups, leaders of small factions. We've never seen a leader of a, a major political party, you know give his okay to that sort of thing. And you can't call it anything else other than what it is. I know we yeah. drifted deeply away from uh, <laughs> our main purpose here. And, and yeah, I know everyone is probably like, please get back to football. <laughs> yeah. uh, but Hell, you've but got me that, wanting to get back to football. Let's do it. All right. You've got it. All right. So I wanted to talk to you about, uh, yeah, if, if I burn, you know, but that's what I mean. People, you know, it's very uncomfortable. So, People are like, well, you know, just shut up. No, and you know I me, man. I mean, I, I get I am told to stick to sports on a regular basis and I never do because, you know, the, the funny thing, you know, with me, Todd, I would much prefer to stick to sports. I, I if I too. could just if I could sit around all day and talk about fantasy football, music and whiskey, my life would be just just jubilant. <laughs> you know, I, um, I'm not a whiskey drinker, but I like your whiskey posts. 
it, it's like a little subcult of fantasy football. Well, it, that's it, actually we're, we're talk. We talked about my radio show. Let's talk. We'll, we'll pivot for one quick second. I'm gonna. I'm starting that whiskey podcast. It's, uh, I think it, our first episode is going to be next week. It's called Fantasy Island, which is sort of a, you know, a triple entendre for those. For people old enough to know, like, remember Fantasy Island, Todd? So, uh, the plane, the plane. The plane, right, right. I've, I've been hemming and hawing on how I want to do the introduction to this thing. But, but each week we'll, we'll talk about at least one whiskey, and I'll have a fantasy person on, I think, 90% of the time with me, um, and we'll do fantasy football and whiskey. Really looking forward to it. And my first guest next week is going to be the great Scott Fish. So, I was going to say... Scott Fish should be the first guest for that. Yeah, you know exactly. Who, you know who you should also get on there is uh, he's a really interesting guy. He goes by, he's like six five three hundred. He just got over Corona. He, I would say, he, you know, but he was who, he was an MMA fighter. Uh, his who are we talking about? Nuts, rusty nuts. I don't know him, but I'll I'll check it out. I, and and we, I've already got. I'm sorry, he's go ahead. a whiskey and a grilling guy. Oh, okay. And he's he's worked with Al Zeidenfeld. He works for Fantasy Guru. Um, he's a really good guy too. Oh, okay. I'll I'll definitely check that out. It's amazing how many people are in our industry. Like, I I, I do it 24/7, and you a guy will come across my, you know, my my timeline and be like, hey, this guy's got 30,000 followers. I've never heard of him. It's unbelievable. I know. <laughs> what's worse is that when you find someone new who's like a clickbait king or queen and, yeah. and they end up uh and they end up having um they end up having like you know and you look at them and they just showed up on your timeline and they've got you know double your listeners already and you're like Right, well, you know, Todd, you and I we come from a different era. We're, we're, I am not a social media, you know, Maven. I, I, right. I, I, I'm not that good at self-promotion. I mean, you know, the, these kids, man, they're so good with social media. So you and I are definitely uh, fighting from behind on that front. Uh, and, and I'm all for that, you know, sell yourself, uh, you know, yeah. as long as you're not a, uh, what we used to call um, a hack, right? Yeah. Like if your information is good and you're also savvy, God bless. If your yeah, information look, is hacky and just meant to get clicks and you really don't have good opinions and, you know, then that's when it gets. So, again, to me, it always comes down to the work, not how you try and get. Yeah. Things. And like there's so many people where it's like I've had discussions with them and it's like, man, this guy's just like or girl, whoever it is. You know, they're just trying to win in the in the moment. But like I'm, I'm not into just trying to win the discussion. It's like I'm, I want to actually move the discussion forward, actually learn something, or establish what my opinion is in a meaningful way. Like here's why I think what I think. But some people are really just looking to make the quick hit. Um, so for me, it's like, you know, if, if like you say, if it's just clickbait and a clickbait rhetorical style, I generally don't even engage. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, you know, going through the divorce and losing my job and all the craziness I've been through, I, last, uh, one thing I will admit to is I haven't had the patience for that kind of stuff that I did um, in years past. You know, in years past, yeah. I would overlook a lot of that stuff and and not get into it, and I find myself not 
Uh, I get well, there's only so much negativity you want in your headspace, you know. So if you're going through a period where you've already got some some natural negativity in there for whatever reason, yeah, then you don't want to get into some debate with somebody who's not being intellectually honest. You don't want to put your energy there, you know. Speaking of someone who's got some weird things going on in his headspace, uh, the jet. Let's let's move oh, over God, to the, the jets. jets. Dear God. <laughs> oh my lord. And um, I used to do I did season tickets with these guys for 10 years, man, 10 years. I didn't miss a game for six years. You know, when I started doing the jet season tickets, Todd, my nut for the season was two hundred dollars. That's that was my seat for the season. Two hundred bucks. Unbelievable. Leon Hess Hess did not make you buy preseason. So you bought just the regular season. And I would get um, eight games, 25 bucks a ticket. Boom, done. Wow. Um, by the time we moved into the, the Met big Life. air conditioner, yeah, MetLife, um, just one game was bigger than the original nut. I, um, haven't, I haven't seen the game there. I, I, I had a, an epiphany. You're not missing a whole lot. You're not missing a whole lot. I had an epiphany, you know. I had got my parents took me to a couple games when I was young. I was mm-hmm. at Phil Sims' first start in 1979, I think it was. Yeah, that wasn't pretty, from what I recall. But it, that's not the one no, where he it, broke his it, finger. It was, uh, but Billy Taylor ran for 144 yards, and uh, okay. Sims. It wasn't his first start. I, I take that back. He got. Gotcha, uh, he gotcha. came off the bench, I think, in that game. My first um, game I ever went to was at the Yale Bowl Jet Giants. My my first game was at the Yale Bowl, and it was they had just traded for some left-handed quarter. They tra- just traded for Craig Morton, ah. but they started they started a guy named Gary Delgazo, I think was his name. Wow, I don't even lefty. remember that guy. You oh, got to go pretty far awful. outside the outside to lose me, but you just lost me. I just lost you. Uh, I do remember Joe Pizarczyk. <laughs> I do remember Joe. Uh, we used to call him Joe Pizzazz. Yeah, and then there was uh, what was that name? It was the the name of the street in uh, Hackensack. His was his nickname. Uh, I can't think of it now. I can yeah, I, I can see the road, but I can't think of the name. Anyway, uh, I uh, oh yeah. So we were talking about my first game, and uh, my uncle. Uh, who we weren't that close to had giant season tickets. So my whole life, giant season tickets, right? You know, it's like, oh, my God. Uh, you know, he never invited me to one game. He knew I was a huge <laughs> giant fan. And so when my mom got sick in the 80s, late 80s, very late, uh, Parcells was still coaching. Yeah. And he, he it was 89, I believe. And he took me to a couple games. And I'm sitting there. He had great seats. It was around the 20 yard line, uh, yeah. about 20 yard line. Row. You're right around. You're getting close to the goal line. And the seven and and around the 17. Uh, 17 oh, I'm sorry. I was row. thinking section. Yeah, 20 yard line is 20 yard line. Go ahead. Yeah. Don't mind and me. And <laughs> seven and seventeenth row. So you're pretty low. It's great seats. Seventeenth row. Through, yeah. That's about. That's about what. Not even halfway back. Yeah, but you can't. I think it goes even, to row 45 or something like that. I just had the epiphany that I missed my television and being able to see the whole field. And <laughs> yeah. I think I've only gone to like two football games since then. You there, know, listen, I, I, there is something to be said for watching at home. I mean, uh, 
I, you know, I had my, my, my seats at Giants Stadium for the Jet games. Um, we were about on the 30-yard line. We were the last row. So if I look behind me, there was like a hot dog vendor or a beer vendor, right? Um, but the cool thing about it was you were completely under that overhang. Like no matter how hard it rained, if it was freaking horizontal rain, you didn't get wet. So that was nice. Um, but, you know, you'd lose punts. You'd lose the tip of a long bomb. You'd lose the ball, that kind of thing. Um, uh, and, yeah, but you would – you would, uh, and when the, when, the, when the action was on our side of the field, the seats were pretty incredible. When the action got down, like, inside the 20 on the far end, it would become very frustrating. You, you, um, you, might, as well, you might as well be in Cleveland. Yeah. And, and, so, that, you know, and that's exactly why I stopped going because I well, just – I didn't – you know, and even with the big – you know, they did have the big screen at the Meadowlands, not as big as they have now probably – I miss uh, that big screen, dude. They have what, the the screens now are in the corners and they're not up high. They they literally distract you from the game. It's unbelievable that they could make it worse. No, they did. But, they really. And, and it's you're, it's funny you say that because that's that's the thing that we just couldn't get over because I did I bought a half share the first year just to. You know, I, I refused to do the PSL, but I, I, I got a couple seats through one of the guys that I went with. And, you know, we did four games that year. One thing we did see, though, just the, the first year at MetLife was the year that Revis caught that uh, – excuse me, Moss caught that ball on Revis with one hand. You remember that catch? Uh, not Revis, pulled his ha- Revis pulls his hamstring on the play. It's a deep ball down the middle. Moss catches it about – I'd say about a third of the way into the end zone. He catches it with one hand. Um, one, of the, one of the best catches you're ever going to see. Um, and I was literally like fourth row dead center end zone. So like we saw the thing happening like before it happened. It was incredible throw yeah, by Brady. You, th- see, that is, that's the type of thing if you're in the right place at the right time that you can't, you can't recreate on television. But it was one of those plays on TV of- where you watch it on TV and you can't believe you, you, that it happened. But from our seat, when the ball was thrown, you could just sort of, it's like, man, he's going to have a shot at a great one-handed catch here. He made it. Son of a gun. <laughs> Moss was incredible. He was he incredible. Was. And, and, and imagine, you know, people like to say he was soft. I don't think he was soft in any way. I just think at times he struggled with motivation. Yeah. And, I mean, look, those, you know, you know some people I, I, might call I, that soft, you know? Right, right. Yeah, I think at times you know. he wasn't as motivated. Uh, and I think, you know, we want our athletes, if someone shits, you know, on the team shits on their head, we want them to just play like no one is shitting on their head. And Randy Moss just wasn't that type of guy. If things yeah, were bothering him, athletes are human beings, you know? Yeah. Um, and some can do it, some can't. But let's get yeah. to uh, – the new big news of the day, um, Frank Gore. Uh, oh, you know, gosh. Cockroaches and Frank Gore will survive <laughs> the apocalypse. Uh, they, the Jets, first, you know, uh, and, and being a Jet fan has got to be tough because literally I joke over the last couple of years, the Jets have signed every running back, every wide receiver, every tight end. It's like, you know, they've always got all these guys on the team. Uh, I I don't you know I don't get you you, you know you go for Perrine uh, in the fourth round you've right. got Bell you've got I think one or two other decent running backs on the roster but they had to have Frank Gore. 
did you have i mean i know that they signed gore i saw it trending on twitter did has has anything come out in terms of like what they actually gave him uh have not seen well let me look okay. on roto i mean if they just brought him in for the vet minimum and it's not a lot of guaranteed money i mean i i don't care that the jets signed gore it doesn't bother me um if he's going to be a huge part of the game plan that might bother me um but you know it, it, you do want one running back on that team who's locked in on pass pro. So Gore is good in pass pro. Yeah. And, and I do think that, you know, it will, you know, Lev Bell already had a pretty good uh, price in fantasy going yeah. anywhere between, you know, the mid third to the early fourth round. Oh, that's so a beautiful it, price for him. Yeah. I've, I've, I'm overweight on Lev Bell for the first time in like three years. Right. And Makes sense. I, uh, you know, not crazy, but overweight. Um, yeah. Well, he, I you're gonna, Le'Veon Bell's going to play hard this year because he knows he's going to be playing. He's playing for money this year. Well, and and I thought he played hard last year. Yeah, I, he, I was okay. that, he was okay. He was okay. It was the Jets. Just, it wasn't him. That's what I mean. Yeah. You know, I I don't think that they they played to his strengths and their offensive no. line. You know, if you actually get this guy, if you actually get this guy some blocking. You know he, you know he, he's so good at picking holes, but there has to be a hole somewhere. Yeah, well, what the Jets need to do is throw the ball, and they should be running off the throw, and and you know they shouldn't be living on Le'Veon Bell volume. I mean, Le'Veon Bell shouldn't be carrying the ball more than fifteen times a week. At least I don't think and he should be. But you got to get I, him. I, but then you got to get him five five plus receptions to go with it. Correct. So yeah, I, I mean, I, use the skill set. You know, and they weren't, and that's no, the thing that's so no. frustrating about Gaze. I, I, you know, uh, uh, but the other question I have: one of my favorite targets right now, in, um, you know, he wasn't early, but in best ball and also in the, uh, I've been doing a number of these football guy three fifties because right. I gave up dynasty and I gave up all my, you know, my redraft leagues, uh, okay. normal redraft leagues is that uh, Brashad Perriman, uh, you know. Interesting player. Very and interesting I, player. I, I think everyone else on the team is, we know who they are. And, mm-hmm. and people tend to want Crowder, but Perriman's going 13th, 14th round. Crowder's that's, going 8th that's and 9th. That's insane. I mean, I'm fine with Crowder in the 8th or the ninth. That's fine. Um If you get 16 games out of Crowder, he's going to pay off big, I think, in the 9th round. That's a big question. Yeah, um, but Perryman, I mean, to me, he belongs really in the same place as uh, as Crowder. I think. I mean, yeah, he's gonna, I, I mean, Perryman's going to start. Yeah, and and he, you know, look, what what works in your favor is the fact that he only did it for half a season as a third yeah. wide receiver in Tampa. Uh, yeah. He looked really good, really. You good. know, the problem and with he, the Jets, Todd, is you know that. <laughs> they went out. I mean, what do you want to do with Sam Darnold? You want to get him to stop throwing fifty-fifty balls, right? You, you you want him to you want him to trust his receivers, wait for guys to come open, to actually get better in terms of that risk reward decision making process. You know, to to become less of a Jameis Winston. Um, and what do the Jets do? They go out and they add you know Doxson, they add Denzel Mims, they add Brashad Perryman. These are all catch point guys. Like you, you, they bring in receiver, receiver skill sets that are going to encourage the quarterback to do what you don't want him to do. Oh, I mean, only, I, only the Jets do that. 
I've gotten in a lot of trouble with Michael Salfino, and I, I got to stop because I, I got, you know, some, you know <laughs> I, I can't argue with that guy. I can't argue I, with that guy. I, yeah, sometimes you just got to let things go. But yeah, my I mean, he's okay, but some of his opinions are just like. Well, yeah. it's not. I don't care what whatever anyone's opinion is. It's it's a very New Jersey kind of way he gets. Um, so which guy are we talking about here? Uh, we're talking about Darnold. And okay. my point on Darnold is he was inconsistent in college. He's been inconsistent in the pros. You're yeah. going to have weeks where he looks like one of the top five quarterbacks in the league. And mm-hmm. you're going to have weeks where he looks like one of the worst five quarterbacks in the league. It's very hard. You and I both have, you know, well, like Mike, we both have a lot of history behind us. We've seen players like this before. It's rare that inconsistent players become very consistent. But like you said, you want to put them in the best situations to where they're more consistent. Like Eli Manning was another one. You know, I'm a Giant fan, and Eli was amazing at times and awful at times. And that made him, on a yearly basis, one of the top 12 to 18 quarterbacks. Very rarely was he above that. Very rarely was he below that. I I put Darnold in more like the 8 to 15 range. I think he's uh, actually more talented in a way. I think he throws the better ball than Eli. Um, I don't know. I, I think Eli is universally underrated, personally, but that's just me. I'm a, I'm a uh, big fan of Eli Manning. I think Eli Manning played for a team that didn't help him nearly enough over the over the course of his career. Um, didn't get him the protection he needed in the whole last end of his career, where he was just playing for his life. I also think he's a guy where when Eli does the safe thing, he tends to look bad. Um, he's a guy who is risk averse, and sometimes that makes it less sexy looking. But man, if I'm trying to win NFL football games, Eli Manning can play for me any day. Well, Eli, you know, I used to always have a joke, and the joke was, "What is it about the playoffs that makes Peyton play like Eli and Eli play like Peyton?" Yeah, just randomness, probably. <laughs> I I don't know. There was enough of it. Eli was one of the better fourth quarter and playoff quarterbacks that you'll find. Uh, Peyton was more inconsistent in the playoffs uh, than he was during the regular season. I mean, mean, the Peyton part is easy to explain. He took teams that weren't playoff teams to the playoffs. That's what happened. Like that's that's what happens to so. Well, I mean, if you go through the, like go through Favre's career, go through John Elway's career, you know, Dan Marino's career, a lot of the great quarterbacks where they would, they would get teams to 10 and six, 10 wins, 11 wins, 12 wins. But once they had to go play complete teams, then the quarterback either is going to do it by themselves or it's not going to happen. Um, you know, and, and, and it's hard to do it three or four games. To win a Super exactly, uh, exactly. Now, Eli, on the other hand, had this very unusual thing where he had these teams that sort of scuffled along, but then when the defense came together with these pass rushers and so on and so forth, all of a sudden the Giants, they were like this sleeping giant. Like both years it sort of happened like that, where all of a sudden the team, you know, Coughlin sort of scuffled for 16 weeks and then they sort of put it together at the end of the year. And those teams in the playoffs behind Eli didn't really – they weren't representative of the teams that played the regular season in a lot of ways. It was strange, very strange. Um, 
It, it, it was, and it was that, you know, but the key was the talent was there. One thing I felt like, though, is the downside of those two Super Bowl winning teams and being mm-hmm. nine and seven and then going on a run is right. over the last eight years, they felt that they're better than they were. That's possible. Meanwhile, the whole, meanwhile, the whole time their talent, overall talent level was sinking and sinking because well, the they were minute- drafting poorly. The minute they lost that ability to rush the passer, like I mean, they had you know they were they were hitting the quarterback like crazy during those runs. The minute you took that element out, they were just a bat, they were just a mediocre team. Uh, and then yeah. you know, uh, getting rid of Coughlin was, you know, whether you think it was a good move or a bad move, if you're going to get rid of Tom Coughlin, you got to bring in somebody who's good. And you know, they brought in well, you know two different and, clown and- shows. Well, and they've and, and the bigger clown shows was at the general manager position where Jerry, whatever magic yeah. Jerry Reese had early in his career, and he did have it. He had a couple yeah. great drafts. He would add quality free agents. Um, but whatever. Magic, had some magic too. <laughs> uh, but uh, you know, and Gettleman, you know, it Gettleman's frustrating because he actually hasn't picked terrible players. It's just that he completely doesn't understand value in drafting that any decent fantasy football player understands. You know, and you know, another thing, it's, it's, it's sort of like what you said about the giants, Todd Gettleman, his style, which, you know, incorporates a lot of hubris. It worked for him. Like if you go back to the Carolina Panthers, when he was putting that good Panther team together, everybody was saying, what is this guy doing? So like he's got a history of everybody telling him he's an idiot and him sort of coming out the other side looking okay, which I think the only thing is if you look sort of makes him double great, down on it. If you could look up that great Panther, like what 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 happened was I was unhappy when they hired him, so I went and looked at every one of his drafts and every one of Jerry Reese's drafts, and literally if you had swapped them out, you wouldn't like if I, if I told you one was the other guys. You wouldn't have known the difference. A lot I just of remember people top- screaming for them to draft offensive linemen for Cam, and he never did, and they, they won anyway. And, it's yeah. because he inherited Luke Keekley, Thomas right. Davis, Cam Newton. He inherited the core of that team. He, he did some decent things. Right. Uh, but, you know, and he got away with some moves that were specious that worked out short-term. Michael Orr. You know, he gave Michael Orr good money, and Michael Orr, you know, got them to the Super Bowl that one year, but it was the only decent year the guy ever paying, had. They were paying two running backs and running Cam Newton more than the running backs. They were doing a lot of stuff that didn't add up. Yeah. Um, yeah. All right, but, let's uh, get to the but anyway, yeah, jump over to – when it comes to the Jets, I think Perryman is a good buy where you've got him going. Um, and then I think, um, you know, I think Darnold is probably – not the kind of guy I want to go after this year. Just I, I was really hoping the Jets would get their act together, but they didn't. Um, and to your question about it being tough to be a Jet fan, I mean it is if you care, but I stopped caring, so it's not it's not hard for me. Oh yeah. Well, I don't give them access to my heart anymore. That, that could be one of the secrets to life. Have no, no it, expectations. Well, I no. See, here's the thing: if, if all my teams are run by idiots. So I don't put my heart on the table for them. If the Jets were run like a good team, I, I would, I would get emotionally involved. But you and I, what, when you do what you and I do, you know things. <laughs> so like, I mean, I know the Jets aren't good. 
I don't think they might not be good. I know they're not good. So, like, why right. would I sit there and then lean in and get emotional about it? No, no. I, I watched <laughs> giant games my whole life, right? Uh, up until 1999, I, you know, I had no choice. When I got into fantasy football, I got DirecTV. I've had the uh, NFL package ever since. And I found the last five years, I watched less and less and less of the Giants during, you know, it, you know I would always watch other games, but I would watch, you know, probably 50, 60% of the Giant game and 40%. Uh, you know, I think I might just go to the Red Zone channel this year. Um, so you grew up not- in that same, and, and we're getting off the, we, last thing I'm going to say that's not fantasy, but you grew up in that same New York I did where it's like you, you're sort of a slave to what's on TV. You only get the Jet, the Giant, maybe you get one other game. It was frustrating. It, 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 indeed it was. And people always say to me, why did you, you know, like I liked the Steelers in the seventies. Why did I like the Steelers? Cause they could beat the, uh, the, the, uh, the Raiders. I hated the Cowboys. I found myself rooting for the Redskins at times, uh, the Eagles at times, because my teams weren't, you know, they just weren't relevant. I watched them. That's why day. I fell in love with fantasy because I could control my own destiny in fantasy. It, it was like Correct. it was it was so liberating. It was like, wait a minute, I I don't have to root for these morons. I can just root for my teams. Uh, it's it's definitely it led to more free. sanity. Yeah, it's no, very it, free. It's heavy, and and it, when things go wrong, it's like, okay, look in the mirror, blame myself, move on. You know. And 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 then also, it's really you know growing up hating the Cowboys and the Raiders. It's really hard to hate a team to that level when you've got them, their players on your fantasy team and you can't yeah. be good at fantasy and avoid the teams that you don't like. It just doesn't work. Well, right? I did so, not like the Cowboys, but I love the Raiders. The Raiders are always my second team. Mm-hmm. First, right. The first uh, book I ever read cover to cover was Kenny Stabler's Super Bowl Diary. <laughs> I bought I, it at the Rift truck. I hated John Madden so much when he was the coach of the Raiders. It was really disconcerting to start liking him so much when he started announcing. That's funny. Um, Where do you you want to go, the Patriots? I do want to go to the Patriots, and I want to set the table just quickly for you. Cool. I know you're locked in there pretty good. My take on the Patriots Mm. so far this year is because Brady's gone – and it's right. the Patriots, and nobody kind of ever knows what's going to happen. Right. I think that you, you know, they've all every Patriot is a good two to three rounds lower than um, where they might go if okay. it wasn't the Patriots. Sorry, my daughter texting me, calling me. No problem. Um, so. Uh, what do you think is, you know, let's start at the quarterback position. Sure. Uh, do you think they're going to add a Cam Newton, or do you think they're just going to roll with the Stidham? I, I have no idea what Belichick's going to do. I'm not, I'm not even going to pretend like I have a feeling. Um, I do think it's very possible they're going with Stidham. Um, I mean, the guy does throw a beautiful football. He really does. Um you know, it's, it's Belichick's all about what's going on when the lights are off. I mean, he, you know, he believes in practice because they do it so hard. Um, so they may have decided that Stidham's the guy they want to give a shot to. Hoyer, obviously, they can win games with Hoyer quarterback. So 
Um, they may be that may be their thing where they're going to give Stidham a shot, and if they have to go with Hoyer, they go with Hoyer for the rest of the year. Um, Belichick can certainly win that way. Um, now, you know the Cam Newton thing. I don't. I would love to see it. I think it would be exciting. Um, you know what? What their cap situation is, does it does it really give them a chance at Cam? I, I don't even worry about that because teams find a way to get that done. Yeah, I mean, if they you can know, do it money-wise, I think here's here's I, it, best guess would be this: Belichick's not going to go sign a one-year quarterback until he feels like there's going to be a year of football. So, I mean, maybe if they become totally convinced that there's going to be a season, then they go drop a Cam Newton, something like that. But I don't think they want to do Cam Newton and then find out there's no football season. I, I Here's my take. My take is that Cam's got a foot issue. They can't check his foot. Um, yeah, no, yeah, that, that's, that's certainly a possibility as well. Um, now, his, his foot should be okay by now based on what he had. But um, the foot, those foot injuries... No, they, you know, they, we've seen they, they it with can a linger. Guys. Yeah, well, then the thing with Cam is, if you watch Cam Newton play, he a lot of his movement comes off the arch of the foot. Um, so it, it's it's a bad injury for any football player. It's definitely a bad injury for Cam Newton. The running back situation: um, Sony Michelle, Damian Williams, and Rex Burkhead there on first and second downs. James White obviously locked into right. his role. Um, right now you're seeing well, both that gets, And that role gets – the Burkhead-White thing gets a little fuzzy when they're both healthy, right? Sometimes. It does. It does. So that's, that's does. another thing. You're right. You're right. Um, I, I mean, right now I do FFPC drafts, and Burkhead's there in the 28th round if you want him most of the time. Wow, that's I think a great I, buy. I, 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 I agree. And yeah. I've done that a couple times. Um, I also like, um, you know, I've never been a Damian Harris guy. I didn't like his tape. I didn't like the pick. Um, I really don't think he does anything as long as Michelle is healthy and not having any off season. I mean, I um, like Harris more than most people. I think he's got really good feet. I think he's a good overall player. He's, there's nothing special about him. Um, but I think he's a pretty good player. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think Sony is more elusive more sudden Sony, ninth round. Ninth, uh, if you if you did a hundred best ball drafts and sony michelle was there a hundred percent of the time in the ninth round about how much sony michelle would you have yeah well here's the thing about sony and you know i trust my eyes and he didn't look good last year but particularly no. early on i mean he did not look good to me i, I didn't think he was elusive I, he, he 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 got better i would say as the year went on um but you know, it's we are dealing with a player who, to some extent, has got a you know a continuing knee situation, sort of like Gurley's. So, you know, you always have to. That's always the concern with Sony is that 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 thing does become bone on bone. It does become degenerative. Um, you know, and he starts to slip and it doesn't come back. So, I mean, that's that that's the worry with Michelle. I mean, should that push him to the ninth, tenth round? Probably not. Yeah, and and uh, Pat Thorman made a comment about him today, uh, and and there's this thing that happens to me in drafts. What did Thorman say? Uh, he's like, uh, he's a value where he's at. Yeah, and, yeah, no, I I agree with that. Yeah, and and I said, you know, talk me into this because every year 
there's five or six guys on the draft board who I don't hate. Um, uh-huh. And I just didn't like them in the past at their ADP, but now they're at good ADPs, Right. but they're not exciting. And they've got question marks and, but they tickle me like a guy who tickled me a few years ago was Devonte Adams the year before his breakout. Right. Uh, and I didn't take any. You know, he was going in the 18th, 19th, 20th round. You got um, a couple of these guys you want to talk about? Run a few of them by me. <laughs> well, I well Michelle is one. Right. Uh, hold on, let me let me go through. Um, Crowder's a guy I haven't been drafting. Okay. Uh, I just think that you know he's got an injury history. Yep. And. I don't know that he's going to win you a league. I don't know that he has a great ceiling in the eighth, ninth round, uh, okay. but he's a solid every week guy. Can you talk me? Uh, I, I mean, I feel good that? about, like when you say eighth, ninth round Crowder, that to me, I like. The question is, and this is where I'm not up to speed, generally speaking, who am I taking instead of him? Or who, well, who are the I'm, other guys I'm, on the board that makes me say, I'll wait around and see what's left? And, and what I'm doing is typically is taking a tight end, a running back, or a wide uh, or a quarterback there, okay. and then I'm taking. So he, he the, sort of is the wide receiver in that area for you, but you're pivoting I'll, to other I'll, positions. I'll, I'll, I'll pull that up for you in a second, but I'm okay. taking Preston Williams two rounds later. I'm sorry, who? Preston Williams. Oh, okay. Yeah, that. Um, yeah, I could see that. I can see that. He, very talented guy, a lot of upside. Oh, I know Preston Williams. Preston Williams was my number one receiver going into the Combine last year. I like him a lot, um, even though he wasn't at the Combine. I was just trying to sort of make a point. Um, my whole thing with, with Preston is that he, you know, he didn't get drafted, so I sort of laid off of him. When the NFL said he's not – a guy that talented doesn't get drafted, I, I will lay off. Um, and I did, and I sort of regret it because I absolutely love the talent. Yeah, well, he looked amazing to me. He looks good. Um, and he's, sometimes, he's a very talented player. And, 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 you know, look at what happened. Here's my thing. He's going in the 10th, 11th, 12th, and 13th round, Preston Williams. Yep. Right? Um, his hey, he's got a hammer got, lock on that outside job. And, and, uh, and, you know, look at what happened to Devontae Parker when Preston yep. Williams went down. What if it worked the other way this year? What if you mean it, Parker goes down and Williams goes off? Correct. In other words, yeah. what I look for when I draft, one of my core philosophies is when I look at a talent, first I'm looking for talent. Does Preston Williams have talent? He has it in spades. All right. So that's the one thing. He hasn't, he hasn't uh, lived up to it yet, but he hasn't had the chance. Um, second thing I look for is where I'm drafting him. Do I feel comfortable with the floor? So uh, you know, when uh, right now Preston Williams is going off the board in the 13th round, okay? Sometimes the 12th. I think that that is fabulous. You know, I think that that's a fabulous floor for a starting wide receiver in the NFL. Ba- just based uh-huh. on what he did last year, he should have no problem um, hitting that floor. Now, yeah, does, does his talent give him the ability to crush that ADP? And and to me, with Parker, would you be shocked if Preston Williams was a seventh or eighth round pick next year? I wouldn't be. And no. if no, Parker goes me. down, if Parker goes down, I think Preston Williams could give you know could give off third, fourth round value. So well, this is, you know th- this is something that um, last summer I had um, 
by Rich Rebar on the pod, and he brought up this very topic, and I thought it was interesting. Um, I don't know if he put it in this exact terminology, but essentially he's talking about anti-fragility wide receivers. Um, receivers who you like the value you're getting them at, but there's volume potential if there are injuries on that team, right? Um, and, yeah, I mean, I think Parker and Preston could both fall into that category where, yeah, we like them okay, but, boy, they could be explosive if the other guy went down. Yeah, and then what I look for is my my secret ingredient is the talent, right? Could I see, if everything went right, could I see them paying, being a third-round pick down the line? And yeah. when you look at – and I, I look at Parker, he obviously – That was my rationale. You and I were both on Derrick Henry last year, I think. I know I was. Yeah. I think you were um, I, I, from I memory. I famously was. Yeah, so um, – you know, my whole take on Derrick Henry was this is a guy I can see being a first rounder next year. Yep. Like that was the whole basis of the whole thing is, you know, who are the guys left on the board who could be first round picks next year? Derrick Henry was sitting there at the three, four turn and he's one of those guys. Like to me, that's a no brainer pick. I did a, uh, a draft, uh, a football guys draft and it's half like analyst of my ilk, you know, mm-hmm. mid range analyst. And the other half was all top, I don't think you're a mid-range, Todd. I think you're a tweeter. We're <laughs> <laughs> uh, top um, high-stakes guys like Nelson Souza and his partner oh, yeah. Hubbard, uh, Austin Martin, um, Danny Muller, and Jeremy. I mean, yep. so I took I took Derrick Henry at two-two, and the internet nice. exploded. It exploded. <laughs> I mean. And I, I partly well, you know, you know, you know, it was so weird. The, the the reasons that people were giving to fade him last year were bizarre. They just didn't make sense. You know, I like like the, like the Dion Lewis narrative made no sense at all. He'd already flopped under that coaching staff in a volume role. Um, there was nobody else on the roster. Henry had succeeded down the stretch in a volume role. Um, it was, it, like nothing made sense to fade Derrick Henry last year. Nothing. The, the one question injury. I had was, is the coaching staff smart enough to learn from their mistake? And Mike Vrabel came out pretty early, around right before the draft, and said, uh, Derek's going to get the ball uh, more than he did last year. It's a you know, short version of what he said. Yeah, and, yeah. I, and that's when I said, well, if that's the case, there goes my one worry that, you know, like what was the team that just, oh, uh, the, the Packers. You know, the, the Packers have Aaron Jones. It's so clear he is the better back, but they still force Jamal Williams into a role he doesn't deserve. And I, you know what? I, I, I don't think that's true. I, don't, I, I never had a problem with the way they used Aaron Jones. Didn't have a problem I, with it. I, well, yeah, you probably had Aaron Jones shares. No, but, I, I mean, didn't look. Have a lot. I, <laughs> but I, no, I, but I, the I, thing is, we all talk about the NFL is, is an RBBC thing. You've got a back like Jones, who clearly is about a fifteen to twenty touch back. He, I mean, I, I, I know I watched games last year where he was gassed. There was a couple games where they're giving him goal line carries, and he was sitting there like hands on knees between carries. I, I think they had him pegged correctly, that he's a guy who's going to be best used as a 15, 20-touch guy, and they need another 10-touch running back. Um, and I think that's why they went and got Dylan. I, I don't disagree with that. My, my problem was more that Jamal Williams was clearly not 
at the same. Yeah. Uh, anyway. No, no, that's true. To... That's true. He's not. He's not as dynamic. There's no doubt about that. Um, but the thing is, coaches they put uh, coaches care about guys who run it the way they want it run. And Williams is one of those guys who pass blocks well, who runs it okay, and and who everybody trusts. So sometimes those guys get a little more juice than we expect. But you know, I'm, I'm not going to kill the coach on that one. That's all I'm saying. Right. But my point is. Aaron Jones ended up paying off just as good as Derrick Henry, but he needed yeah. like 19 touchdowns to do it. And we all yeah. know that the, the least sticky thing from year to year is touchdowns. So, yeah. uh, I mean, you know. <laughs> and I think that goes double if you're talking about the 2020 Packers. Oh, my God. Um, all right. So <laughs> I, I do want to talk about something you brought up on Twitter that kind of was the inspiration for this. Uh, We're starting to see it, and it's basically, you know, teams look in their division and they decide, you know, what's it going to take for us to win this division? You know, um, six of our games every year is in that division. The the one way to guarantee that you're going to make the playoffs is to win your division. And now the the teams in the AFC West are faced with dealing with Pat Mahomes, and right. it's really interesting to see. Uh, and and for fantasy, explain your thoughts on this, uh, and um, and and what the teams are doing. Well, I mean, look if 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 you're in a, if you're in a division, and a team like Kansas City evolves within your division. And, and then suddenly exists, right? I, I mean, Reed's been there for a while, but he hooked them up by being an Alex Smith team, right? But then when they transition from Smith to Mahomes, whole different thing. Now all of a sudden this team, you know, they burp and 50 points are on the board. So if you're one of these other teams, you've got to accept that the gauntlet's down. Like you're not beating Kansas City by holding them down and you scoring 24 points. That's not happening. Like you, if you can't show up and drop 35 points, you can't play Kansas City. So I think, and I think we saw that in some of the draft picks we've seen. We saw, you know, Denver, they've got an offensive tight end. They had a stud like Sutton. Uh, they bring in a running, you know, a, an established running back with, with a wide skill set, and they go after Judy. So, I mean, gosh, it looks like an all-star team up there from a talent perspective. Would they have done all of that? If Kansas City was a defensive-oriented team, I don't think they would have. Um, and I think Oakland's personnel moves paint a similar picture. Got it. Got it. Um, yeah, I think. I mean, summary... I, that's that's. I mean, they, you you need to compete. Every, nobody is going to just play for the wild card. Everybody wants to try to compete for the division title. It makes sense. That's how you make deep runs into the playoffs. Um, and. Uh, I think if you're a smart football person, you look at the – I mean, the Chiefs aren't going away. <laughs> even if, not, even if Tyreek Hill – Right, right. Even if Tyreek Hill g- gets back into legal trouble and he can't play, it doesn't matter. Chiefs are not going away because it's Mahomes that drives that boat, as we all know. So, I mean, you, Pat Mahomes and Andy Reid together, you could put just average skill talent out there. They're still going to crush, right? So – Everybody in that division knows the standard is really high, and you're going to have to get serious about scoring points. Now, Chargers aside, I'm not exactly sure what they're up to, but it seems to me the other two teams are leaning in. Yep, and I think that the the takeaway there 
is um, because there are six games a year, you know, push up your AFC West rankings a little bit simply because there's going to be a lot of shootouts. I mean, that, you know, if you want to distill down what everything that you just said is that there, you know, what, what, you know, what I look for at one, you know, besides what I already talked about is I look for sneaky upside. Yeah. Right. And and sneaky upside, like, and also I I want to avoid sneaky downside. I know some really smart people who are on Daniel Jones. And my feeling is that Jason Garrett has always run a slow paced offense. Uh, Joe Judge seems like a Neanderthal who's going to want to win. You know, I mean, he's like, he's like a throwback to the forties. Forget the 70s. Daniel Jones may not run as much this year. They, they, he, put they invested, he put up a fair amount of points with his feet. They invested a, a lot in the defense. They had a lot yep. of injuries on the offense. They've yep. improved the offensive line. I, the guy that I'm most interested on the Giants' offense is Barkley. Everyone else, I just think, is fair value. Um, yeah. You know, they're going. You know, later Ingram up. maybe Barkley Ingram for me probably. And but but Ingram again. You know, if it if they slow the pace down. And the, See, I think know, that they, helps Ingram. Maybe not for uh, less targets for everybody. The pie gets smaller. Okay, I'm with you there. But if if they're playing tight to the vest, to me, that's going to be Barkley Ingram. Well, the the one thing that I will say is that Jason Garrett. You know, history is a great. You know, sometimes people go overboard with what happened in history, yeah. but. You know, no one's talking about the fact that Jason Garrett always had a tight end to throw to in Jason Witten. So, you know, a big part of his offense is uh, throwing to the tight end. So I think you're right. And Ingram crushes, though. That route tree, Ingram can crush. And and I think that uh, my only concern there is, unlike Witten, Ingram's not a blocker. And, again, I just just worry um, because they do talk about trading him. Uh, but I think but, but, you need your shares of Engram. Yeah, I mean, I, just to what you were saying, the, the Giants who interest me in drafts, Barkley and then some Engram, and then, yeah, that's pretty much it. Yeah, and, and you know, a lot of smart people are on Daniel Jones. I just don't mm-hmm. think everyone's factoring in. Um, the when you say change. on Daniel Jones, can you give me a level of onness? Well, he's like, going, he's going uh, over, overall. Here, let me pull up his ADP. He's the QB he's going, one. He's going as the uh, QB 13 ahead of Stafford, Mayfield, and Goff. I wouldn't have him ahead of Mayfield. I wouldn't have I him Mayfield. ahead of Stafford, I, Mayfield, or Goff. Yeah, I, 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 I probably agree with that. I probably he, agree you with know, that. look, he also there's so many good. There's so many good mid-range quarterbacks this year. I, I just don't feel the need to, you know, and, and he was a big turnover guy. And we saw, what was the name of the Tampa coach before Arians who didn't trust Winston? Oh, and just um, always, uh, what's in Atlanta uh, now? Yeah. The AC in Atlanta, Dirk Cutter. Yeah. Yes. Thank Dirk, you. Dirk, we saw Dirk Cutter with Winston, that Neanderthal coaching the way they think is, well, we can't have the turnovers. So we got to slow the game down. We got to take the ball out of his hand. Again, I just think that there's some warning signs on Daniel Jones. I'm not saying if I wouldn't take him after 
Stafford, Mayfield, and Goff are gone ahead of, uh, you know, uh, you know, the other guy I think is overrated right now is Ryan Tannehill. I mean, you know, he was very, oh, yeah. absolutely. He was, he's overrated. Cause look, I mean, he's playing for a Mike Vrabel team, man. I mean, <laughs> they, I mean, they'll use Tannehill as much as they need to, but anytime they can put him on ice for the rest of the day, they'll do it. You got to be careful with teams like that. Yeah, I mean, you look at what, you know, he he played really well to get them to the playoffs, and then in the playoffs, I don't think he threw for 200 yards in a game. Those were weird games, though. You got to give that. Those were some bizarre True, games but, you played in. But, 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 you know, but it, it's a, your point it's with the Giants, game. though, how much would you say the Giants improved the, the offensive line? Uh, a good bit. Right, okay. So you're looking at a team that's going to have Barkley healthy this year. I, I, at least on the surface, Ingram should be healthy. All the wide receivers should be returning healthy. The protection's going to be better. You point out that they improve the defense. So this is all leading me to think the quarterback isn't going to need to run as much, and he may not need to throw as much. So, Which you know, some of those exactly some of those games where he had those big numbers were games that sort of got out of hand. I don't know if the Giants are going to be playing as many of those games. Exactly my point. Yeah. Exactly yeah. my point. I, so I think that it, I, I think that it's a uh, I think that it is a uh, it's you know it's not one of those big knockdowns like all right, oh, right, right. Daniel Jones but when you're trying to win fantasy football leagues especially high stakes ones it's these little things that can make a difference because it the definitely mid- can be especially as we get closer to the season. The edge gets smaller and smaller. And you, you just, you want, unless it's an exceptional situation, like last year I did jump up to take Lamar here and there. I did do that. It's not like me, but I felt like it was merited based on the player. But for the most part, quarterbacks, you want them to fall to you. You don't want to go up for them, even in the middle part of the draft. So, I mean, I'm with you there. Like, I might like Jones, but you know what? If I don't get him and I end up with Teddy Bridgewater, who cares? Who cares? Another another question I've got. Oh, I've got a lot of Teddy Bridgewater right now. You can get I, him I, three, four rounds later than Daniel. This is what Jones. I'm saying. This is, I mean, he's going to be in a distributor offense. It's all going to be about Teddy getting the ball out of his hand. And everywhere you put the ball, you've got guys who help you out. Yeah, exactly. In other words, my whole thought process is if you throw a, pat, a, a screen to Christian McCaffrey on the 20-yard line and he takes it to the house, that's right. a touchdown pass. You know, Basically, just, every time he gets the ball out of his hands, that's plus EV, <laughs> right? The, the Teddy Teddy's weakness is getting the ball down the field. He he did it better last year. Yeah, uh, I'm, I'm but, a fan of Teddy's. So that you know that you know I'll be honest about that. I'm a Teddy Bridgewater guy, but I, I think that offense, assuming that they go with the skill, if they if they're using the strength of the players around him, good God, I mean, just get the ball to Samuel, get the ball to Moore. Get the ball to McCaffrey. That's all you got to do. Another and, and if you think about it, like that was the, the the absolute weakness of Cam Newton, right? So I this it's going to be really interesting watching this offense because you had a quarterback in over his head last year. You had a guy struggling with accuracy before that. Now you're going to have a guy that's built on timing, accuracy, quick reads. Another guy that the high stakes guys are really on is Miles Sanders. Um, Ooh, I, interesting. <laughs> I've seen him go, in, you know, as I've heard early some really as like wild stuff. 
as early yeah. as pick like one five, one six, one seven. The yeah. draft I was in last night, he went off at one six. Yeah. Um, I've been drafting Boston Scott all off season. Yeah, uh, me too. You know, <laughs> I, I, uh, I, you know, this is a tough one. This is a tough one because I understand what I understand what the Sanders people see. Like I get it. But I, a couple problems here. First of all, this kid's got a fumbling background, and that scares me. Like, leaning in on a guy with a fumbling background scares me. Now, if Sanders is falling to me in the second round or something, fine. But, like, taking him that high in the first, when I've got guys that I don't, you know, who don't have risk factors, uh, not to mention, Sanders, you know, he was not, I don't even, he was not an intuitive runner last year. He did not show me vision most of the year. Now, Philadelphia can open up some great holes. And when you get that guy into that second level, he's dynamic. He's a big, strong, fast guy. I like him. There's, there's reasons to hesitate. But the biggest reason I haven't hit, and I know you'll hit it if I don't, is that Peterson is not a coach that I trust to just suddenly go, yeah, we're a one-back one back team. I don't think it's his nature. No. And I don't know that they would, you know, Sanders – I mean, he's not a small guy, but no, no, no. He's know, he's got the size. He's got the size. He's he's he's, he's also you know I agree with everything I you think. said, and I I also just think that when you've got an explosive guy like that, back to your Aaron Jones comment, teams are going to want to keep him fresh, um, and 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 have him for the full season. So I, I think Scott's not going anywhere. I, I didn't like the Clement signing, but it didn't surprise me. Um, and I, I wouldn't shock me if they added a touchdown uh, guy, um, you know, someone to, yeah. uh, to, to, you People know, we're talking and, about Carlos and, Hyde. Yeah. And, and, uh, and the guy that is you know, Hyde would be the perfect uh, Doug Peterson third back, you know, the guy who can convert a, a one yard uh, touchdown, right. a one yard first down. Um Another guy who I liked a lot, and I had in the FFPC, which is 28 rounds, I had like 40% pre-draft. I was drafting him in the 20s. He's gone off in the 10th round in three straight drafts for me is um, uh, Anthony McFarland. Now, that's a case of liking the player but not the ADP. Yeah. I I mean, Anthony McFarland's a guy I was really on pre-draft. And, you know, and then he went to Pittsburgh, so that didn't scare me off of him at all. Um, no, I like the landing spot because Connor yeah, I mean the landing spot I think is a good one. The, the, I'm sorry, go ahead. There's questions about Connor. If there wasn't, you wouldn't be getting Connor in the fourth and the fifth round. Well, those are that's our questions about Connor. I don't know if they're Pittsburgh's questions about Connor, but um, that's a good point. Yeah, I, I, you know, here's the thing about McFarland. I like him. I think he's very talented. I like the way he runs. He runs like his ass is on fire. But let's let's not forget, this is a guy who had problems structurally in the offense, and this is a guy who fumbles, okay? So, you know, I liked him as an upside guy, but I didn't get him in any of my rookie drafts because now people are taking him in the second round. Um, so, you know, this is the Pittsburgh effect. Sometimes Pittsburgh, Pittsburgh touches a player and everybody, you know, um, Chase Claypool was a guy I really liked pre-combine. Then he pins the combine, and the pits and the Steelers take him, and you can't get near Claypool. He's going to the second round. Um, so and, I generally and, don't follow guys up the board like that. You know, I, I I, I'm either. on different players now. 
I, I don't either. I famously, for me anyway, I wrote a, an article. It's what I call the Wiley Coyote effect. You know, okay. you're so eager to get someone that you like that you run. You off are a the super genius. Sorry. You, you're a super <laughs> genius, and you run, end up running off the end of a cliff while the roadrunner is still on 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 solid ground. Right. Um, a guy that I was on pre-draft, and I'm still on post-draft. And, and this is going to segue into our last subject. We got sure. about ten minutes left. Um, right. Was um, the guy that I uh, was on pre-draft was James Washington, and I think okay. Claypool. You know, you could get him in the fifteenth to seventeenth round. Washington. And, yeah, James. Before yeah. the draft. Mm-hmm. Now the Claypool's there. He's going undrafted in certain twenty-round drafts. Um, and you can get him in the in the 20s, definitely, in most uh, FFPC best balls. I mean, in general, and this is the segue, without having a off-season, a typical off-season, mm-hmm. it's going to be really hard for these rookies who have yes. to beat out someone with talent who's been in the system. I mean, Washington was a second-round pick, I believe. Um, I, and he's a good player. And he's a good player, and he and he made yeah. improvements. And I get that everyone's on Deontay. I like Deontay too, but yeah, Juju absolutely. and Deontay are still there. Ebron's there. What I love about, I about Washington, to, now you're getting to my point, which is going to be there's just waste. There's too many roosters in the hen hut there. Yeah, but Washington, all you need. What I want out of my seventh wide receiver in a best ball is three usable weeks of fifteen right. to twenty points. That's all you want. Play, and he's a big play guy. And he's a big play guy. He is yep. the prototypical late round best ball wide receiver, James yeah. Washington. He's got he's got legit downfield ball skills, that guy. Like Yep. Very Let's legit. Talk about, with the last ten minutes, I wanna talk about the rookies uh in Kansas City, running backs. There's like five different spots. I'm gonna let you talk and take us through some of the situations that and, and how you interpret them. Well, I'm most you know, interested in Kansas City and Detroit. Okay. I mean, I have a general interpretation, which you actually just hit. You hit it really well, which is that this is going to be a tough year to be a rookie. Um, you're just not going to have the access that you normally have. So you're going to be further behind the curve, relatively speaking, compared to these other players. So, you know, when I'm looking at Clyde Edwards, excuse me, the fresh French of Hilaire um, and, and, and Damian Williams, I'm thinking advantage Damian Williams. You know, when I look at Ingram um, and Dobbins, I'm thinking advantage Ingram. Um, you know, that's I, normally probably less so, but on a year like this, you've got to give those veteran running backs a, an edge. Um, and, you know, Damian Williams in general, Todd, I just feel – He's such, he, I don't know why he gets so heavily disrespected by so many people for being good. Um, you know, maybe he was just the opposite. He was going in the second rounds, and I'm like, I don't, I can't spend a second round pick on that guy. Um, you know, I wouldn't have had a problem with it, but I did. And but now he was going fourth, fifth round before the draft, and now you can get him in the seventh round, um, eighth round sometimes of drafts. Uh, right. I just think that he is, you know, they're not going to, you know, we spent a lot of time talking about Pat Mahomes. They're not right. going to let Pat Mahomes get hit unnecessarily. They could love, to, to me, the comparison is Rashad Penny a couple years ago. Penny couldn't block coming out. 
Right. And I said, I, I said, you know, you guys can draft capital me to death, but you know, mm-hmm. they're not going to put Russell Wilson at risk. Well, and, and think about the draft capital argument for this year. Like, think about. Like, play the tape all the way to the end, right? If you're making a draft capital argument for Hilaire, what you're saying is that Andy Reid, who is now a Super Bowl-winning coach, is going to play this guy more just because he took him in the first round. Let me just tell you something. There's no way that's going to happen. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. If he plays him, it's going to be because the kid's killing it. That's it. Right. Nobody is playing extra in Kansas City this year because of their draft position. Not happening. I I really feel like it's a two thirds, one third split. That's what KC has shown historic. Well, it's what Andy Reid has shown historically. Yeah. Even oh with yeah, Brian and people Jeff- who think that anyone, I mean, anybody who thinks one back is going to come get it in Kansas City, just go look at go look at the last full year of usage that Kareem Hunt had. Or go talk to a Kareem Hunt owner during that year, particularly, and I'm going by memory here, excuse me if I'm wrong, but I want to say like weeks 5 to 12. I mean, there were games where he disappeared for like a half a game. So, you know, Andy Reid plays the back. He wants to play when he wants to play the back. Nobody knows what he's going to do except him. I I would lock both of those guys in for a 50% workload. That would be my approach. Okay, you ended up where I was going. I okay. think it's going to start – he's a two-thirds, one-third guy, Andy Reid. He plays his lead guy two-thirds of the time. He plays his one-third guy on third downs and goal line in two-minute drills. That's typically what he's done the last few years. Um, right. I see Jamie and Williams starting the year as the two-third role, and Hilaire is going to have to prove he deserves more. If he does, by the time he does prove it, I think it'll be a 50-50. But I could also see it ending up being a 60-40 in Damien's um, favor. Yeah, it's fluid. And, I mean, look, well, the thing with Damien Williams is that and we have absolutely no way of telling, can this guy play a full season with reasonable volume? We don't know because it's never happened, right? Um, I mean, he flopped last year for people who drafted him for regular season fantasy, but it was injury-related. He had the knee injury, which – killed him for about a month and then when he was coming back from it he had that guy land on his rib cage and he had the rib cage cartilage injury which knocked him out for another couple of weeks so you know, we lost all of that production but when he came back healthy at the end of the year he looked great so here's the thing here's the thing about these two players they're completely different. Well, they're, they're very different players, okay? Damian Williams is a big back who's got the speed to challenge on the edge, and he can run vertical routes out of the backfield, a rare combination of talent that fits really, really well in that scheme with that quarterback, okay? Then the other guy is much better between the tackles, and they're both very good receivers. So they're going to deploy these guys, I think, in a very creative way. It's going to be opponent-specific, and it'll be game flow specific. So here's my general point. The people who are leaning in, taking Hilaire in the second round, are making a mistake. I agree, agree, agree. Uh, last situation, and we got three minutes, is, okay. uh, to me is the carry-on and Swift, mm. because Swift is the next. I, I, think, right. I think the Taylor one isn't egregious, him going off in the third. I think that's about right. Um, okay. I think that um, let's see. Although people the, are probably uh, underrating Mac a little bit too. I'm not the biggest uh, Mac fan, but but uh, I'm okay with the third round. Uh, it's a little early for me on him. Right. But 
but Swift going in the fourth and carry on going in the seventh and eighth. Uh, I'm a buyer. Yeah, that should be closer. That should be closer. I agree. I mean, that's a tough one because Swift is such a good receiving back. I can see him getting the receiving juice on that team. And then if the rest of it gets split fairly evenly, then Swift's going to be the guy to own. But we go back to the thing you were talking about, which is Swift going to be able to get into the offense. So it, the, the way I think Swift is a guy I would like over the second half of the season, but do I want to pay a premium to get a guy who I think is going to get better mid-year? Do you follow me? I, I do. And, I, look, I get it in these FBG tournaments because, you know, these guys play 150 teams and they just want guys who are going to be there at the end when the tournament and the big money is going to come. Right, um, right. And, 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 uh, but you basically nailed my take on that situation. And me, you know, look, I, I, I want to, you know. I, and you and I, I both like carry-on, I think. Like, I like carry-on. I'm not... I do, too. I, I, I yeah. don't get the carry-on hate. I know he's been hurt, right. but he's a talented guy. Very talented, Absolutely. All right, that is going to pretty much do it. I wish I had more time, but uh, yeah, we'll we do don't. it again sometime. I would love to have you back, Pete, anytime. Uh, one of the great guys in the industry, one of the just super people that I've met here. Uh, if you're not following him, give him a follow at Rotobon, Pete Davidson. We didn't even get, we didn't even get into um, you know the the Pete Davidson Saturday Night Live. Are you gonna, <laughs> yeah. are you, are you are you going to kill yourself anytime soon? Kind of humor, uh, uh, no, but maybe no, another time. Um, <laughs> that is going to do it for us today. Thank you for listening. I will be back Thursday night for a podcast uh, going over the FFPC Genesis draft that I did with a bunch of the 26ers, and we will see you later. Have a good day, everyone.